happy 2023. You know, by now I thought we'd have flying cars and everything. I watched Back to the Future a couple days ago and I was like, man, we missed it. Like somewhere we did not get any of the stuff they said we're going to have in the 2020s. But it is good to be here. The fact that you are here means you're not hungover, which means this year may be better than next last year already. So give yourselves a round of applause real quick. One day doing better. Uh, a lot of good stuff going on. You heard Pastor Anthony share a lot of that going on. We do go into 21 days of prayer and fasting starting next week, and so I'm going to share a little bit about that. But we started a new series today called Moving Mountains. And we're going to talk about what faith is, how to build faith, how to increase faith, how to receive the things in the spirit world through faith, and how you can be a person of faith walking out this whole next year. And so we're going to cover that. If you have your Bible, you to Mark chapter 9. A mountain is defined as a large natural elevation of the earth's surface, rising abruptly from the surrounding level. It's a natural elevation that rises quickly, that prevents somebody from going from point A to point B. And there's tons of mountains in, in the world, on earth, in America. Uh, one of Mount Everest is 29,029 feet above sea level in Nepal and China. And people are actually stupid enough to actually try to climb that. Mount Denali in Alaska is R in America, North America's largest peak at 20,310 feet. Uh, just a couple of months ago, we were at our Joshua Nations Banquet, one of our main mission partners who do just a spiritual discipleship uh, process all over the world in Pakistan and in India and in Africa. And me and Alicia got to go. We, we did not hike Pikes Peak. We drove up Pikes Peak. So you can throw that picture up of Pikes Peak. It is 14 114 feet, and I already could not breathe. So just thinking of somebody going 29,000 feet is ridiculous. But when you are up there, you can see multiple states from the elevation of 14,000 feet. But it changed your perspective. When you look up the mountain from the bottom, it doesn't look that big until you climb to the top and you realize the air is different. The temperature was 60 degrees at the bottom. It was 20 degrees at the top, and we didn't have the proper clothing. Like, it changed the perspective. And you may not know this, but, you know, right here in Alabama, we're famous for a mountain as well. And if you'll throw that picture up, it's called Cobbert Mountain of an elevation of 980 feet. Also home to the Rattlesnake Saloon. Which I'll tell you, when I first moved here, by all, all the older people, like, you got to go to the Rattlesnake Saloon. It's one of the greatest restaurants in Alabama. And so I told Toya, I was like, baby, we have to go to this restaurant. So one Friday night, we got her and the kids. This was you know, seven years ago. Put the kids in the car. We drove out to the middle of nowhere where you only heard banjo music out in the, in the wilderness. We park, and a, literally it's a hayride to go down to the cave. We get off the little hayride truck, whatever it may be, and we get off to go eat a hamburger. It's supposed to be the world's best hamburgers at the Rattlesnake Saloon on the world-famous Cobber Mountain, only to find out they were IDing our you know, kids that were under the age of 10. And they put X's on our kids' hands like we just walked into the club. And Toya's like, where in the world did you just bring our kids? I was already getting I'm like, the senior adults at church told me to come. We sit down, it's literally round tables like we do for potlucks here, and they have pitchers of beer on all the other tables. I'm like, sir, we don't need beer for these kids. They're crazy enough as it is. <laughs> Only for then the country music band to crank up, and it became a honky-tonk bar on Friday nights. We're still recovering our marriage from my influence on our kids. 
thanks to the senior. Cobbert, so mountains, they just abruptly arise naturally. Like you don't get to choose if there's a mountain there or not. Mountains just show up. In America, is known for these mountain ranges, the Smoky Mountains, the Rocky Mountains, the Sierra the Nevada Mountains, the Sierra Vista Mountains, all these mountains. And when Lewis and Clark were first like searching and exploring America, they were trying to find a water passage from the East Coast to the West Coast. And they thought the Missouri River would be the the pathway that they could bring commerce from one side of the continent to the other. And so they wanted to find the the spring that was the source of the Missouri River. They thought they could find that source, they would find the other ocean on the other side. So they got two explorers, Lewis and Clark, that you may remember from school. They hired them as explorers. Lewis and Clark were, were not mountain explorers, they were river explorers because they're trying to find the source of the Missouri River. And they start their track from the East Coast and they begin, they cross the Mississippi River, they start heading through Kansas and Oklahoma, and they get to what is finally the Rocky Mountains. They get to the Rocky Mountains, they get to the Limhi Pass, which is the first kind of mountain range there. And you have these two explorers who are trying to find the passage from the East Coast to the West Coast, who are now hit with a new reality, because now there's a mountain between where they are and where they're supposed to be. And one of the, the journalists said this phrase. They said, their geography of hope turned into a geography of reality. So I, I don't know about you. Maybe you've had a situation like that. You had big hopes and big dreams, big prayers, big ideas, uh, big dreams for your family, big dreams for your career, big dreams for your life, big dreams for this. And then all of a sudden, a mountain just rises up between where you are and where you're supposed to be. And your geography of hope, the hopes and dreams that you had in January 2022, then in February 2022, seem to be a geography of reality where maybe this just isn't meant to be. Maybe my dreams were too big. Maybe my prayers were too much to ask. Maybe my hopes were were too big for me. Maybe I'm not destined or purposed, or maybe God's not giving me favor. Maybe, just maybe, you had this big dream of going one direction. But then a mountain arises and prevents you from getting to where you're called to be. See, physical mountains are physically stopping you from traveling, but spiritual mountains are situations and circumstances that appear so big to you that they seem impossible to achieve. It may not be too big for somebody else. You may see other people who achieve, they overcome those things, but for you personally, It may be something that seems so big, a circumstance that's so consuming, a situation that's so big, it seems like it's impossible for little old me to overcome. Just seems too much. Maybe for your marriage, you've seen other people overcome things in their marriage, but for your marriage, it just seems too big for you and your spouse. Maybe you've seen other people healed of sickness or disease or cancer, but for you, the pain in your body is just too much to overcome. Maybe for you, you've seen sons and daughters leave high school, go to college, turn away from the family, turn away from God, but they come running back at some point. But for you, it just seems like an impossibility. See, spiritual mountains are situations where it seems like they are impossible for you to overcome. We come up with ways to get around them. We, We try to travel around the mountain only to get weary and tired and give up. Some of us maybe try to dig through a mountain only to get tired, weary, and give up. But do you realize God never called you to dig through a mountain? God never called you to go around a mountain. 
He never called you to run a race around. About God called you to be a mountain mover. And when you get caught up in religion, instead of moving mountains, you start trying to develop plans and processes and programs to find a way around a mountain. When, when, you, when you lose faith, when your faith gets weak, instead of moving mountains, you start trying to find a hammer and just religiously knock holes, continuing this mountain, hoping at some point you get to the other side. I'm here to tell you that as a believer of Jesus Christ, you have inside of you the potential and the possibilities and the power and the way to move mountains out of your way. The first thing you have to do is believe it. The second thing you have to do is actually walk in it. So for the next few weeks, we're going to cover how to walk in faith to move those things. But when you, you see and you realize that you're a mountain mover, it will change the way you see mountains. See, when you believe that you can move mountains, mountains seem like molehills. But when you don't believe you can move mountains, molehills seem like mountains. And so your perspective is determined by what you believe about God. Bigger my God, the smaller the mountain. The smaller my God, the bigger the mountain. So your perspective, A.W. Tozer said, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. And in Mark chapter 9, I'm going to read from the New King James this family, this, this dad is facing a mountain that seems impossible for him. He tries everything he can. He tries to go around the mountain. He tries to chisel the mountain. He tries to find programs and processes around the mountain. And he comes to a place where he realizes that he can't get around this mountain. And it says this starting in verse six, uh, 14. It says, when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. And immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples. I mean, he's putting it on Jesus. I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Verse 19, it says, and he answered him and said, oh, faithless generation. So he's already saying it's a faith problem. It's not, it's not a situation, not a mountain problem. It's a, it's a faith problem. Oh, faithless generation, referring to the disciples. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. And he fell, to, fell down on the ground and wallowed, foaming at his mouth. So he asked his father, Granted, Jesus asked a question. He already knows the answer. He's trying to get the dad to actually acknowledge the mountain or name the mountain he was facing. So he asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. And here's the father's the, the cry from his heart. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. It's interesting. Jesus didn't condemn the man. He didn't, he didn't come down on the man. He just says, listen, if I can do anything. He said, this is not a problem on my side of the equation. This is a problem on your side of the equation. He's saying, I have the compassion. I have the ability. But I need your faith to rise up. And immediately the father, in verse 24, the father shall cry out and said, with tears. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. 
immediately the father child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. If we are honest, the majority of Christians are in this same spot. I believe, I still need a little bit of help. I believe you can do it. I believe he wants to do it. But then I had this struggle that I don't know if he can do it for me. I believe he can do it for somebody else, but I'm struggling that he wants to do it for me. I believe he has compassion, but I'm struggling that he has compassion for little old me, Bobby, and my family, and my church, and my friends. And we were in this place of in between. We have faith, but our faith needs to increase. And when Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsing him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand. Sometimes right before it gets good, it looks like it's dead. Sometimes right before your breakthrough, it gets worse and it looks like it's over. But right when it looks like it's over, it's the time for a new beginning. Right when it feels like you've lost all hope, that I brought you my son, he was convulsing, now he's dead. Right when it looks like hope runs out, that's when God begins to do something new. But he said, he became as one as dead, so they said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had come into the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And so he said to them, Jesus said to the disciples, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So this story, this narrative, this historical account is the story of a mountain a father was facing where he had some faith, but he didn't have enough faith. It's a story of disciples who had enough faith to leave everything and follow Jesus, but didn't have enough faith to see what Jesus did actually come and go through them. And it's interesting, the scenario of this story, if you read Mark chapter 9 at the beginning, this is the same story of the sermon or the, or the, or the Mount of Transfiguration. So Jesus and three of his disciples are on top of the mountain. A mountain, they're on top of the mountain. They see Jesus transfigured. They see Moses. They see Elijah. They're like, wow, this is a mountaintop experience. This is a spiritual journey. We need to build an altar for Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Jesus says, no, we need to go back down the mountain. They go back down the mountain, and all of a sudden, the reality hits in. There's a mountain that this dad is facing where his son is broken. His son is sick. His son is convulsing. His son is near death. And he says, I've tried everything and I can't happen. It's amazing in the spiritual journey how you have these mountain highs and mountain lows. They go from seeing Jesus transfigured to now they can't even cast out this little demon that's messing with this boy. And his father's frustrated. He's full of tears, crying out because of this mountain that he sees. See, mountains take different forms. This, this mountain was a couple different mountains for this dad. One, it's a mountain of unbelief. Like, like he, he believes Jesus can do it. He believed Jesus could do it enough to bring his son to the disciples. He believed Jesus could do it enough that he, he brought, Jesus, brought his son to Jesus. Said, I tried with the disciples. They couldn't do it. I'm bringing him to you. It, it was a mountain of unbelief. He had faith. He just couldn't. Couldn't push through. It's a mountain of relationships. And sometimes it's not our problem that's the problem. It's the problem of the ones we love the most that's our problem. 
The man wasn't sick. He wasn't convulsing. But his son, his, his son, we don't know if it's his only son, his youngest son, his oldest son, but his son is dealing with such a traumatic situation. He wants to see it move. So his mountain was a relational mountain. There's also a sickness mountain. There was sickness and disease in his body of some sort that was causing him to have these seizures and convulsing. But there's also a mountain that was spiritual. There's some type of demonic oppression affecting this family, and his dad was sick and tired of it affecting his family. And he sees this mountain, and he wants the mountain moved, and Jesus says, I can do it if you would only believe. And it's almost like Jesus saying, my doing is contingent upon your believing. Me, me doing this is contingent upon you believing. He said, well, I believe, but help my unbelief. And so Jesus kind of infuses him with faith to have enough faith to receive what Jesus already wanted to do. See, faith doesn't make God do anything. Faith receives what God already wants to do. That's why there's some people that receive and some people that don't. We told me about a water babe real quick. I've been in church services all over the world, and I'm amazed. I'm amazed as I watch in the crowd. I'm amazed how God can move in some people in a room, and other people are completely unmoved by the same presence of the Holy Spirit. It amazes me. You'll see some people in tears and worship and, and weeping. You'll see other people just stoic. You see some people down front receiving and some people just standing back and watching. You see some people as consumers and some people as receivers. And what I've learned is this, that God is always pouring out. God's presence is always there. But as he's there, he's pouring. But the only ones that receive are the ones that actually put something out to receive with. So when I see people now that are like, you know, they're sitting back and spectating, what I'm seeing is they don't put any faith out to receive what God wants to do in them or in the room. And so it's not a matter of God saying, I don't want to do it. God says, I want to do it, but you have to have something to contain what I want to do with. And the only way you receive spiritual things is through supernatural faith. That's what he tells his dad. He says, oh, oh, I can do it. You realize he tested Jesus. He says, well, if you have any compassion, if you have the ability, do you realize that's what we say? We go through a difficult time. We go, well, if God loves me, he wouldn't let me go through this. If, God, if Jesus was compassionate, then, then I wouldn't be going through this. Or, or if Jesus was powerful enough, then I wouldn't be going That's what that dad was asking him. And Jesus says, oh, nothing is impossible to those who believe. See, we as believers, we'll, we'll make that a religion and say, well, nothing's impossible for God because that's true. And we'll say, well, nothing's impossible for God. You know, God, if God wants to do it, God can do it. But the scripture says nothing's impossible for you. Touch your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. What that means is, yeah, nothing's impossible to God, but God is wanting to release the impossible in your life. And he's saying that nothing's impossible for those who believe. So it's my belief that contains the impossibilities of God. And so this dad figured this out. So for you, if you're going to see the mountains moved in your life, it means you have to have God help your unbelief. I believe you can do it. Just help my unbelief. 
And so in order to get there, you have to know, what is your mountain? What is your mountain? What, what, are you going to walk around the same mountain this time next year? Or are you going to look back and see a plain, a flat land where there used to be a mountain? Because it's not about just you moving a mountain. It's about the generation behind you walking on flat land. It's not just you going around a mountain and moving a mountain. It's about your kids and your grandkids, your grandkids. See, the mountains you move become the spiritual legacy for your lineage behind you. But you have to name your mountain. Is it a financial mountain? Maybe for you it's a getting out of debt. Maybe for you it's a generational mindset about money or poverty. Maybe for you it's overcoming some financial stresses or issues. Maybe it's a relational mountain in your marriage or your kids or your family. Or maybe you're getting married. You're looking for the right person to marry. Maybe you've gone through a divorce. You're looking to remarry. Whatever the mountain, it may be a relational mountain. Maybe it's a spiritual mountain that you've been dealing with the same spiritual things over and over and over again. The same habitual sins, the same cycles that I serve God and then I fall away. I, I run after God and then I run away from God. I, maybe for you it's a spiritual mountain. Maybe for you it's a body, it's a physical mountain. Maybe it's your body has sickness or disease. Or maybe it's a family member, sickness and disease. Whatever the mountain is, you realize you have to name the mountain before you can move it. And, and there's different beliefs out there. But one of the beliefs is, I've heard people say, like, if you get a cold, you're like, man, I think I'm getting sick. They'll be like, oh, brother. Don't, 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 don't confess that, brother. I'm like, what? No, my nose is running and snotty. Like, it's not like I'm making it up. No, don't confess it, brother. You don't want to confess it over your body. No, like, I'm sick. Do you realize you can't get healing until you confess that you're sick? I can't, I can't receive financial blessings until I confess that I need God. You can't get saved until you confess that you need help. Like confession of what the reality is how you change the reality to what God wants the new reality to be. Jesus says this in Matthew 17. He says, he said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, this is a specific term, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. What he's saying is, you have to name the mountain. How can you speak to a mountain that you don't name? How can you, how can you tell a mountain to move if you're like, no, no, I'm not going to confess that mountain. That mountain is not real. That is not a reality. That is a bunch of new age junk. When we climbed Pike's Peak, I could pretend Pike's Peak wasn't there, but guess what? I still couldn't breathe. I was looking for my asthma inhaler. Guess what? I left it in Alabama. I could say, this mountain is not real. This mountain is not real. I'm still cold and I'm still about to pass out. Some of you are so proud that you refuse to name the mountains that you've been walking around for your entire life. Some of you are so religious that you keep walking around a mountain because you're afraid to say what the mountain is because you're afraid what people will say about you. So you'd rather walk around a mountain getting tired and weary because you're afraid people will say something about you. Guess what? They're already talking about you anyway. They're already talking. You know what they're talking? Every year they do the same thing. Every year they give the same New Year's resolutions. 
Every year they give the same news. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to stop doing this. And by February, they're already doing it again. Maybe this year you name your mountain. You identify your mountain and you tell your mountain it's time to move. So for you, what mountain do you want to see moved in 2023? What mountain do you want to see moved in 2023? Zechariah in a prophecy in chapter 4 said this. He said, this is the word from the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And he says, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, which is just a man, you shall become a plain, meaning a flatland, and he shall bring forward the top stone and amid shouts of grace, grace to it. The other translation is, bless, bless it, because that used to be a mountain, now it's a flatland. You have to name it. And the disciples said, Jesus, how could, why could we not have cast this one out? And Jesus says in 29, verse 20, so he said to them, this kind comes out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So maybe you've prayed for God to move a mountain, but have you prayed and fasted for God to move a mountain? Maybe you ask God with tears, kind of like this father, God, I need you to do this. But then you shut the door, you say him, and you never give God a chance to respond back. And prayer is a conversation, not a monologue. It's a dialogue, not a monologue. So God, I need you to do this. And you just say, amen. And you leave and you don't talk to God again for another three weeks. Maybe it's a season of prayer and fasting for you that increases your faith to receive what God wants to do for you in 2023. Because prayer and fasting is a resource God gives us in preparation for new spiritual journeys and seasons, but also a way to break some things off so new things can begin again. It's almost a way of spiritual pruning for new fruit to come into your life. It's a benefit. And it's not something that just spiritual people do. On the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' main message, he literally says, when you pray, pray like this. He said, when you give or when you tithe or when you give offerings, do it like this. And he says, when you fast, don't do it like the Pharisees standing up front saying, oh, I fast more than you. Oh, I'm so hungry. Oh, look at Bunyan's. Oh, look at... He, he says, don't do it like that. Go into your room, put on a smile, and enjoy the journey of fasting. See, Jesus expects us to fast. Even the disciples said, Jesus, like, why do we not fast like the other disciples? He said, because I'm still with you, but when I go away, then you'll begin to fast again. And so maybe for you, the way to move the mountains in your life this year is to start your year unlike any other year for some of you. And you begin your year with a season of prayer and fasting to see God move in our church, but to see God move in you. And there's, I'm going to give you real quick five things I believe fasting does in your life spiritually. And I believe these, this affects every single person in this room. These five things affect everything. First one is this. Fasting is a weapon to crucify my flesh. Now, maybe I'm just talking to this side of the room, this side, you already got this. Like, my flesh has problems. My flesh rises up. My flesh has pride in it. My flesh has anger in it. My flesh has, has lust in it. My flesh has greed in it. My, all our flesh has these things. That our flesh has these natural desires and passions in it. And that's why the Bible says you have to crucify the flesh because the flesh is going the opposite direction of your spirit. 
And so fasting is his weapon to crucify or to cut off your flesh. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, Paul was talking, he said, but I discipline my body to keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He said, we can preach, but my flesh is still there. And if I don't discipline my body, if I don't discipline my flesh, it will rise up and it will disqualify me from living the message that I'm trying to preach. See, once you get saved, your spirit has a desire and a passion. It wants to serve God. It wants to worship God. Your spirit wants to follow Jesus. Your spirit wants to be generous. Your spirit wants to have peace. Your spirit wants to have joy. Your spirit has these desires, which are mostly the fruit of the spirit. It's the fruit of the spirit of the desires of the spirit. But when you got saved, guess what you didn't get? A new body. You know why I know? Because mine is still balding and getting fat. We don't baptize people and they come out looking like a supermodel. What's saved is your spirit is now new. Your body is the same body that you've allowed to run your life up to that point of salvation. You've allowed your flesh to be in charge and be in control of what you want and what you don't want. So before you got saved, your spirit and your flesh were in agreement. If your flesh wanted to do something, your spirit said, yeah, let's do it. If your flesh wanted to uh, be full of lust, your spirit said, let's do it. If your flesh was full of greed, it said, yeah, let's do it. Then you get saved and your flesh says, hey, let's go. And your spirit says, not so fast. So now there's a conflict within your soul between your flesh and your spirit about which direction they're going to walk. Are you going to walk in the flesh or are you going to walk in the spirit? And it's like Siamese twins that hate each other and they're fighting day in and day out. In Galatians, Paul said this, but I walk, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I know you don't want to get drunk. I know you don't want to have an affair. I know you don't want to have a divorce. But guess what? Your flesh is leading your desires. And the only way to deal with your flesh is to put your flesh in a timeout. Like when our kids were younger, when they get into a fight, Toy had the timeout t-shirt. See, y'all don't know about timeout t-shirt. It's called cruel and unusual punishment. We can't even do it anymore. The kids start fighting with one another, we'd put them in a timeout t-shirt. So they'd all be two to three of them at a time in one big t-shirt. So they had to get along for a little bit. What that means is sometimes you have to tell your desires to stop for a season to retrain your flesh to surrender to your spirit. Because for so many years you've trained your spirit to surrender to your uh, flesh. Now you have to have these moments of reset to reset the leadership of your life once again. It, the fasting just starves your flesh. It starves your fleshly desires. Do you realize that every single sin we have is a natural desire? This is when people, it, it blows my mind. People say, well, I don't see how that can be a sin because it's just natural to me. All sin is natural to you. Like, do you realize that all, all sin, all sin is, is you taking a natural desire and fulfilling it in a way that's not through Jesus. So sex is a natural desire. Sin is when you, you function through that natural desire, through adul uh, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, whatever it may be, 
But this natural desire, when it's surrendered and submitted to Jesus, he gives you a way to satisfy that desire in a spiritual purpose. Marriage, covenant. Food. Food is a glorious thing you have to eat. But when you overeat, when you overindulge, you're letting your flesh run your body. That's why we can eat three times a day and pray no times a day. Why? Our flesh is leading our lives. And so when you fast, you starve your flesh so you can feed your spirit. I've heard people say, well, pastor, you just know, I've tried to fast. I made it like half a day and it was killing me. Let me help you. The whole purpose of fasting is to kill you. It's to kill the old flesh. It's to kill the old man. So the only thing that remains is the inner man and his desires. When your body starts screaming, that's why you can tell you're actually accomplishing something spiritual. When you're fasting and your flesh is getting angry at you, you're getting hungry. What it's saying is, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. And guess what? Your spirit will never scream at you to say, feed me, feed me, feed me. Your spirit will just whisper. Feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. And you normally don't hear it until your spirit is so weak, you've already fallen into sin. So maybe you just need to push time out on your flesh and let your spirit be fed through a season of fasting. Fasting is a weapon to crucify your flesh. Fasting is also a hammer to break down strongholds. Strongholds in your life, maybe strongholds you've been carrying for way too long. Maybe it's, it's things you've been walking through over and over and over again. Here's what Isaiah says. Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. See, fasting helps you break the strongholds that have been holding you back so you can live a full life in Jesus. And so many of us, when you lose sight of fasting, this scripture is so clear. Fasting helps you break the yoke that is holding you back from being who God wants you to be. That word yoke is a word, it was used in two different ways. The first way it's used for animals, that they put a yoke. I got my yoke. They put on animals to control animals that were bigger than the humans. Ox, mules. They put them on animals for what? So they can control what they do and where they go. And so they put it on them so that way a bigger animal, a stronger animal, a more dominant animal, will actually be led by little bitty weak human beings in whatever direction they want them to go. They placed a burden on them so they could control them. They started using the word yoke not just for animals but for slaves in the Roman period. Why? They put a yoke upon them, a burden upon them, so they could control somebody who was more dominant stronger or more effective, they could control them through a burden they placed on them. When it says break every yoke, do you realize the enemy in the same way knows you are stronger than him? You're more dominant than him? You have more authority than him? And so he places burdens on you or strongholds or yokes so he can control which direction you go. He leads you through burdens because you're much stronger than he is. And what it says, he breaks every yoke. Fasting breaks the yoke. What he's saying is, some of you don't even know you're carrying a yoke. All you know is there's times you want to do what's right, but for some reason you do what's wrong. Why? That's a stronghold. 
For some of you want to walk a certain direction, but you always find yourself being turned in another direction. Some of you start walking towards church, but you end up going towards the bar. Guess what that is? Yoke. Some of you walk towards an Alabama football game, but you end up at an Auburn game. Guess what that is? A yoke. See, most of us don't even realize we have strongholds because they're passed on to us by our family members. And so you're just carrying what your mama carried, what your daddy carried, what your grandparents carried. You just carry it. You don't even realize you're just being led by something that's weighing you down, and you don't realize it until you come into the presence of God and you realize there's a lightness. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so the weight that you're feeling is the weight that's controlling you. And it says in the scripture that it's fasting that breaks the yoke. Some of you, it's a stronghold or yoke of habitual sin. The same sin you feel like you're going to break every single year, you end up at that same sin. Guess what that is? Yoke. Addiction, guess what it is? You want to do something right, but you end up going right back into it. Guess what that is? A yoke. Something as small as a pill or as small as a drink can control a human being. Why? It's a yoke. And it says in Scripture that it's fasting that breaks the yoke of sin in the believer's life. It's a hammer. One person said, many people try to fast only to realize they can only go two to three days without food. This is the same length of time that someone addicted to alcohol, tobacco, or drugs can go. Meaning when you're fasting, you're telling your body, I'm breaking this yoke of these natural fleshly desires controlling me to break the yoke so I can be free again. Fasting helps us retrain our bodies to submit to our spirits. Because our spirits are free, but our flesh is bound. When we are led by our flesh, we live in bondage. But when we are led by the spirit, we live in freedom. And fasting is what breaks the yoke between the two of them. Fasting is also a medicine to heal your body. Touch your name and say, we need healing. I, I believe in doctors. I believe in hospitals. But I also believe God created the body to heal itself. And I believe God is a God who can heal through supernatural means, but also through intellect, knowledge, doctors, and hospitals and medicine. But I do know that we are the most sickly generation to ever walk the face of the planet Earth. Which is incredible because we have more doctors, more medicine, more drugs, more pharmaceuticals than ever before, but we're more sick. And so maybe you've tried, maybe you're like this dad in the store, you've tried multiple ways. Maybe it's time for you to fast your way into healing. Hippocrates said this, all disease begins in the gut. Tumors, cysts, and goiters are a bulge of the body because we eat ourselves sick. Hippocrates also said the greatest form of medicine is the food you eat. What he's saying is what we put in our bodies actually determines if our bodies can work the way God created them to work or not. And if you realize that in the United States, in the Western world, our cancer rates are twice as high as the unmodern world. Throw that, throw that chart up real quick. If you look at the Western world, our cancer rates are sky high. You look at the non-modernized world, they're low. You could use anecdotal data and say, well, yeah, but we have more testing, we have more of this. No, 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 it's what we eat. When you go to other countries that are not modernized, their food comes from the ground or from animals. Our food comes from factories and junk. 
And what we put in our bodies determines how our bodies respond. Many forms of cancer are not necessarily a negative thing outside source. It's the body growing too fast or multiplying too fast in one specific area. Why is that? There's so many hormones and steroids in our food that's causing our bodies to bulge through cancer, goiters, and everything else. And what fasting does is it stops polluting our body to reset our body, to get out all the pollutants out of our body, to reset our bodies back to their normal created state so God can then let our bodies heal themselves. You say, well, you know, is this scriptural? Yes, it's scriptural, but it's also medical. I know of two people in this church, or one used to be in this church, they moved off, where they were diagnosed with cancer, and the first thing they did was went on a 21-day juice fast. 21-day juice fast. No, no processed foods, no meat, just juice. When they went back to the doctor, the cancer was completely removed from their bodies. There's a documentary, Forks Over Knives, where they talk about all the processed foods we're eating, all the things we're doing, all this stuff. And this one doctor in the 80s moved his cardiac patients. Many of them had one year to live put them on a 21-day juice fast, and then put them on a non-processed food diet. And out of that group, only one died. It was 20 years later of natural causes. See, we're eating ourselves sick. And when you fast, you push the pause button. You get all the junk out of your body so that your body can reset naturally so then God can begin doing a work in your body. Uh, Dr. Oda Birchinger said this, fasting is a royal road to healing for anyone who agrees to take it. For recovery and regeneration of the body, mind, and spirit, fasting can help uh, heal and help rheumatism in the joints and muscles, diseases of the heart, circulation, blood vessels, stress-related exhaustion, skin diseases, ladies, including pimples and complexion problems, irregular menstrual cycles and hot flashes, disease of respiratory organs, allergies such as hay fever and other eye diseases. Healing takes place when you let the body do what God created the body to do, which is heal itself. Number four is fasting is a decontaminant of distractions and stimulants from our body, meaning our lives are so full of distractions and things that contaminate our view, contaminate our perspective, contaminate our faith, contaminate everything about us. Fasting removes or decontaminates our lives so we can see things the proper lens. So it helps to get the distractions out. When you go through 21 days of prayer and fasting, what it does, it removes all the other things that are distracting you from serving and seeking Jesus. I don't have to go eat. I can sit and pray. I don't have to worry about this, but it also strips your body of everything else that's trying to stimulate you. Because you may not know this, but everything we eat, everything we do stimulates us. When you turn on the TV, it stimulates you. When you turn on social media, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, whatever the newest thing from China is, whatever you turn on, it's going to stimulate you. When you drink coffee, it stimulates you. You drink an energy drink, it stimulates you. You smoke a cigarette, it stimulates you. All of it stimulates you. And what God wants to be the greatest stimulant in your life is the Holy Spirit. He calls it like yeast, that, that when the Holy Spirit comes into a loaf, it stimulates the whole loaf and makes it rise and expand. God wants the Holy Spirit to be the greatest stimulant in your life to help your life rise, to help your faith rise and expand. But until you get rid of all the other stimulants, it's hard to know if that's God's voice or that's Bunyan's voice. 
Is that God's voice or is that caffeine's voice? Is that God's voice or is that social media's voice? It's hard to recognize. And so fasting helps you tune in your spiritual receiver to hear what God is trying to say to you. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah's running for his life. He says that he came to a cave and lodged in it. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. So God passes by Elijah. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke the pieces of rock before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice that said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Then God started a new path, a new journey for Elijah. So you need to realize this. He's on Mount Carmel. It's a place where God had moved before. He, hear, he feels the earthquake. He thinks God's in the earthquake. He says God was not in the earthquake. Then he hears the wind. God's not in the wind. He sees a fire, but God's not in the fire. So many times, Mount Carmel is a place of supernatural interactions with God. And I believe some of us that have charismatic or Pentecostal backgrounds, we always think God is in the huge song or the big powerful vocal or in the fiery preaching. And, and Elijah's kind of looking for God in the fire and the earthquake and the wind. But God was in the still, small voice. And in our culture, the still, small voice of God is one of the most difficult things to actually hear. Because there's so many other things seeking to stimulate us to speak to us and to move us that the last thing we normally hear is the voice of the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons for that is we don't like the silence anymore. We always want something to be on. We want the TV to be on. We want the social media to be on. We don't like, we want to scroll through our phones. And the still small voice is only, it's only picked up when you tune in, you silent your mind, your heart, your spirit, and your soul so you can openly speak into you. One of the great books on fasting written in the early 1900s, if you'll throw that graphic up, he says what fasting does, it removes all the other stimulants from your life. So the only stimulant left is the Holy Spirit. And he goes through this process. You have air, water, and fasting. But from there on, it increases in stimulating your spirit or your body. You go from fruits and vegetables to eggs and dairy, grains, fish and fried chicken to the glory of God, to steak and brisket and smoked meats, fried foods, candy and sugar and Reese's cups, Pickled food, you can just go and take that off. <laughs> Condiments, Chick-fil-A sauce and barbecue sauce and ketchup and Texas Pete, all the good stuff. And then caffeine, which to me is liquid Holy Ghost. <laughs> Stimulates you. Tobacco, alcohol, liquor, drugs, and narcotics. One of the dangerous things about this side of the equation is they stimulate you so much, you begin feeding your soul things that stimulate you that are actually idolatry. Because you keep worshiping them to get you where you want to be instead of wiping down the slate and getting back to the only stimulant left in your life is the Holy Spirit. And if nothing else happened from fasting except 
that you remove caffeine, you remove tobacco, you remove fried chicken, you removed all the condiments, and all you had left was the voice of the Holy Spirit, I promise you'd be one of the greatest experiences of your entire life. We are so overly stimulated that it's very hard to tune in to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And fasting tunes everything else out so the Holy Spirit can tune in. And then last but not least, fasting is a key that opens spiritual doors. You say, I, I may not need a spiritual door. Yeah, if you're going to walk through a mountain, there's a door that removes that mountain. And the only way to get to that door is through prayer and fasting. Fasting breaks down our flesh so we can experience spiritual renewal, spiritual opportunity, and spiritual possibilities. Tony Evans said it this way, everything visible and physical is preceded by something invisible and spiritual. Therefore, if your goal is to address some form of stronghold, conflict, or trial in your visible, physical world, you will need to first address it in its invisible, spiritual antecedent. Meaning every problem you see physically has a spiritual root to it. And the only way I see that spiritual root or uproot that spiritual root is through prayer and fasting to open those spiritual doors. Every amazing story we read in Sunday school of these biblical heroes before they conquer some new territory, before they move a mountain, before they walk into a new season, they preceded that season with prayer and fasting. Moses, when he got the Ten Commandments, what was he doing? Forty days of prayer and fasting. David, after he had the situation with Bathsheba and lost his son, he went to a season of prayer and fasting to get a spiritual restart to his kingdom and to his life. Nehemiah, before he builds the wall, he goes through a season of prayer and fasting before he walks into his ministry purposes. Ezra prayed for protection for his family, for the generations behind him through prayer and fasting. Esther, before she walks in to intercede to the king for the Jews. She prayed and fasted. Isaiah, when he got the word of the Lord, he was praying and fasting. Daniel, before he goes in the lion's den, he was praying and fasting. Joel, before he received the word of the Lord about the latter rain, he was in a season of prayer and fasting. Jesus, before he started his ministry, went through 40 days of praying and fasting. The apostles in Acts, before the Holy Spirit came, they're in a season of praying and fasting. There's something about praying and fasting that opens the spiritual door for the next season of your life. Even this church, like we, we go through seasons of prayer and fasting every year. In 2019, it was in August, I think it was in August of 2019, where it was season of prayer and fasting. We had Wednesday night seek nights. I'll never forget, I was sitting there on, on that, in that pew, and I went down forward just to pray. And as I'm praying, no lie, I heard the Holy Spirit say, there's going to be a possible merge between chapel and the Rock Shoals. It was such a loud voice of God, I put a note in my phone, which I never do, and I was like, man, I, don't, I only met Brian one time, never met Pastor Rusty. I was like, man, this is, this is that's weird. But it was so prominent. The next elders meeting, I told them, I said, hey, I'm gonna, I, I never pull the God. I never say, hey, God's saying this. I never do that because th those guys can hear God just as well as I can. I said, hey, I'm just letting you know what I feel like God said to me so that at some point in, in 10 years, five years, whatever it may be, we have this document. We can come back to this moment. So I shared it with them. I got the note in my phone. A month later, I'm supposed to go to Israel, and I post on my Instagram my itinerary for Israel. Brian slides up in my comments and my DMs trying to, you know, holler at your boy. He says, you're going, I'm going too. And I was like, and I have this note in my phone. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I go to Israel. It's the first time I meet Pastor Rusty, meet Pastor Scott Silcox. I'm in Israel, and I have this word in my heart. But I can't share that word 
God just gave me that word through prayer and fasting is preparation prayerfully. Go to Israel, hung out with Brian and Scott most of the time. We come back, COVID happens. Everybody's just fighting for, for, to make sure things maintain and function. And in the middle of, of COVID, I'm doing a funeral for Jimmy Beasley after Jimmy passed away. Pastor Rusty and me are both doing the, the funeral, and Pastor Rusty calls me and says, hey, listen, like, I don't know what you will take with this. He said, you know, I feel like God's been talking to me about you know, what it may look like for you know, Rock Shoals and Chapel to actually merge together. No provocation, no, no prior conversations, nothing. And he said the exact same words God told me. He says, I feel like Chapel and Rock have the same spiritual DNA and mission. And why should we compete to accomplish a mission when we can accomplish it better together? I said, Pastor Rosa, you're not going to believe this. And I pulled up my phone, and it said, I think it was August 4th, 2019. I said, this is the words that God told me in prayer and preparation. And I tell you that, then from there, it just went spiral, just got connected, me and Brian, and connected me and Pastor Rusty and Pastor Lisa, and all, this, all these, but it happened, that door opened through a season of prayer and fasting. See, you can never open a spiritual door on your own. When you try to open spiritual doors, you end up having, having Ishmael's, you end up having Bathsheba's, you end up forcing the issue, and you end up stuck with the consequences of fleshly desires. But when you pray and fast, only God can open those doors. And when he does, it's non-negotiable that God is the one who did it. So the question would be this, are you in a wilderness season right now, needing a way to walk into your promised land? What mountain have you been walking around or you've been looking up at that looks impossible that this is the year you see that mountain turn into a plain? What spiritual door do you need opened? That maybe you've been pushing, you've been knocking and knocking and knocking, but you need the key to unlock that door. What prayer have you been praying for your body, sickness and disease, that now you want to see that broken free? Maybe with the doctors, you with the surgeons, you've done everything you can, but maybe, maybe, just maybe, that prayer and fasting is the medicine to heal your body. Or maybe it's a stronghold you've been carrying, you watch your mama carry, you watch your daddy carry, you watch your grandmama carry, you've been watching them carry. You didn't realize you're carrying it, but you see yourself being pulled in the same direction over and over and over again. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to break down some strongholds through fasting. I'm going to ask Chad and Tracy Burdine to come up real quick. Let's get that mic. Chad and Tracy, a couple years ago, they're telling me a story after the fact, but went through a season of just facing mountains and mountains and mountains and decided to go through a season of prayer and fasting. And I've watched this God just ridiculously bless their family and change everything about their dynamic through a season of prayer and fast. I'm going to ask Chad to go ahead and share that. So first, just share with them the mountain that y'all are facing. Well, first of all, Happy New Year, Chapel. Happy New Year. Um, and and uh, before I even get into this, I just want to publicly uh, thank this entire church um, for being there uh, for my family the past uh, several years. Pastor Bobby, Pastor Toya, Gene and Aiden Batson, and I see Stephanie there. What's up? Um, uh, you guys have literally been, we had a song, our second song today, Firm Foundation. I mean, you guys have literally been our rock and our firm foundation um, for the past several years. And I'm 
usually don't get worked up uh, talking in front of a crowd, but today I, I, I just feel like I just, I really just want to tell you guys from the bottom of Tracy and my heart and, and little Tegan's, but thank you guys and Pastor Brian as well. I mean, you guys have been there so much. Pastor Anthony uh, bringing the generator over. It's like you just thank won the so Grammys much. or something. I know, I know, right? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, you, you got to cue the music. Uh, but uh, I, I don't want to take up too much time, but our story begins. We, Tracy and I got married um, May 24th, 2014. High five, I remember. Yeah. Good job. All right. Um, but we, we were, I've been a musician my entire life ever since I got out of, out of high school. And, and Ms. Kilgore, I can go ahead and give you props too for, for, all, the, for all the things that you did for me um, at Shoals Christian School. Um, but like I said, our, our, our journey begins in 2014 when we got married. And I was playing music basically my entire life and and then Tracy she's worked gosh knows how many jobs she's gone back and forth on um but between 2014 and 15 uh to about 2018 Tracy you worked at, at Grogan Jewelers uh for a long time and and we were we were doing this the same grind for for a very long time and during that grind um my my father um suffered a pretty big stroke um and my mother, my mother had her third round of uh, breast cancer. So, Pastor Bobby, talking about the mountains that we uh, faced, <sighs> we faced a lot of them. Um, and it's not about the mountains because we're all going to be faced with mountains. And, and like you mentioned earlier, we we were we we're praying uh, through so many things. Of course, faith without works is dead. So, the the thing that we started doing more, especially when I see Daniel Powell here, he, he messaged you earlier, he actually messaged me and he was the one kind of responsible for getting me re-involved in this church. So this is really cool that I'm getting to like really publicly acknowledge and, and thank a lot of people. But um, it, it was like Pastor Bob said, 2020, and we were there was a, a moment where we didn't really know what we were going to do with our lives. Uh, but we did move to Franklin, uh, Tennessee on it was March of 2018, and that was a very, very tough decision for us because my father um, wasn't wasn't 100%, and you know he was on the road to recovery, and, and my mom was going through a lot too. Our family was just going through a whole lot. So when this opportunity arose for us to to uh, to take this to, to, this leap of faith, um, we we did take it. But when we were there, it was really tough because I was having to come back and forth two or three times a week for for gigs and for for radio and uh, and just to be with my family. Um, but then we moved back in, uh, in 2019 and then, um, Tracy, you stayed in Franklin. So we were both, we, I commuted the, the first year, she commuted the second year. And then we finally decided to move back. Well, and, um, it was January of 2020, right before COVID really, really, you know, I felt like just became the center of, of, of everybody's lives. Um, we, we did prayer and fasting as a, as a, as a church body. And it was, and I have, I have, I have fasted before, uh, but not for 21 days. I would normally do like a seven week or maybe two week fast. And, but we'd never done the three week, the, the 21 days. And during that time, uh, Tracy and I, we were both just very adamant about not really expecting something new, but we believed that something was going to happen. Like we needed to move. We really, we really did as a family. Um, and then, you know, with, with everything that would happen with, with my family and, and with my, my, um, my mother and my father both eventually do passing away, Tracy and I have actually, um, we 
It was 2020 where we actually had the opportunity from Dr. Um, Bailey and, and Gina Bailey where they were um, going to relieve themselves of their duties of picket place. And, and y'all uh, weren't looking for that either. That was just a random call. Right, yeah, completely random. Yeah, we had no idea. It wasn't even expected. Um, and I think our relationship with the, with the Baileys go back very far um, to even to my grandparents, um, Betty and Bob. Uh, Birdine. They've had a great relationship, but when they were ready to relieve themselves of their duties, they asked us if, if, if we would like to, to do this. And, and, and sure enough, we took a leap of faith and, and, and we did that. And, and it, it really, that was, I really do feel to this day, it was because we, we prayed and we fasted and we actually sacrificed our bodies, our wants, our needs. Um, and it's such an amazing blessing uh, that came from that. And not only just from our family, but, I mean, we've, we've been able to really get, do some really cool parties with Chapel. It's great for the community. And not only that, with, with Tracy's incredible work ethic and uh, her drive, um, we've been able to actually open up a new uh, venue, Pick It On Court, uh, downtown. And then we have another one kind of on the, on, the, on the rise, too. So, But, yeah, I can't thank you guys enough for, for, for you know, trusting us and, and for, for being with our family and being there with our family and 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 i can't stress the importance of, of, of prayer and fasting there's they're two different things but when you put them together and like pastor bobby said earlier you're like you know you're you are sacrificing to yourself and your wants and your needs and you're replenishing uh that um but i just want to say thank you and and i'm really looking forward to these next 21 days of prayer and fasting and tracy would you like to say anything she has a little fear of, of talking in public but we're gonna we're gonna do this <laughs> with the prayer and fasting when we did that we knew that there was something else that we wanted to do because our family was split we're back and forth and it was a call looking for my friend with a wedding venue and that's when we found out it was for sale and I was like oh we'll buy it (laughs) and they were already in a contract and I just knew that we couldn't keep going back and forth so when we started the 21 prayer fasting she called me and she said contract's done we want you and Chad to have it and I was like what (laughs) So we kept on, and then I was like, well, there's no way we're going to get approved by their bank you know, to buy that. So we just continued. We're like, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And I was on an airplane and wrote a business plan in an hour, and the bank's like, perfect. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, you know, and it just kept happening and coming, and I'm such a corporate mindset in person, and that's all I do. So I was like, if this is going to work, you know, and then we got it, and I was like, Right? And then 30 days later, COVID happened. I'm like, well, <laughs> we just spent every dollar we had to buy this venue, and now we can't operate. And then I was like, what was kind of the point of, you know, it's kind of like, why would we go through all this just to fail now? And it was actually a blessing because we got to host like 25 private ceremonies that everyone else canceled. So it kind of like helped us grow, and then now we get to work, you know, it seems like a lot, but when you drive back and forth to Nashville four times a week between us and an infant and sick parents, you're just kind of like, come on. And then, you know, now we get to work together every day and have our friends work there and Tegan's there. So it's just kind of the biggest struggle. I mean, it, we struggle a lot working with your spouse, trying to figure out different time frames. So in my mind, I thought with the fasting, the blessing was, oh, we got a venue. But I think now the blessing was it put us up for a struggle that we've never been through to be, you know, before to get us to this point. Right? I think we would have 
survived, you know, our marriage or anything. So it's the 21 days definitely was insanely life-changing. And now we're going to do it again. That's cool. Thank you. <laughs> Give them a big round of applause real quick. It's amazing when I was watching kind of unfold that there was splitting time between Nashville and here. Chad's doing his thing. Tracy was traveling, doing her thing, running jewelry stores. And, and their prayer was just that they could be together. And to see that God answered that prayer to keep a family together by opening a financial door for them to buy Picket Place downtown. Like not even looking for that, calling to schedule a wedding, and they literally give them an opportunity to buy it at a lower rate than the contract had actually already been given for it. And then watch that through COVID. Watch God bless them through COVID with a venue when you can't actually have venues. And watch God bless them and bring their family together. It's amazing what God will do when you push your desires away to seek his face for 21 days.